The Restless Midlifer Podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. It's episode 111 and this week I've got another interview which we're going to dive into very shortly. The reason for that and the reason there's no food for thought this week and the last two weeks is because I've taken a bit of time off and uh, I also want to gather my thoughts around the topic of the social and emotional aspects of our relationship with food and I don't want to rush it so hence why I'm kind of using some of these interviews that I've recorded um, more recently to uh, share with you brilliant interviews and certainly some uh, loads of value in there and then it allow me to get back to sharing my thoughts around that relationship with food in due course. Anyway, this week we've got a great interview with Paul Hopper, who is a retired fire officer and has a, an amazing story. And um, I, I don't really want to get into the story now. I'll, I'll let uh, Paul share his background. But one of the reasons I like to share the ex- I like to share both the experts, if you like, the experts in particular areas that are relevant to us as midlifers in terms of health, uh, mindset, that kind of things. I also love to share experiences people who've been through particular challenges and overcome them people who have a particular um who have had an experience and taken on challenges which is particularly the case for paul this week um and he has a great book which you'll find details about in the show notes called flares up and um i'll I'll say no more about it because i think it's a really it's a really inspiring story and i get a bit geeky about it because i've been one to do some of my own smaller scale challenges over the the last decade or so and um, it's certainly something that I think maybe some of us have something in us that we really would like to to try or to do or to go for and uh, I think it's just a really good story so anyway I'll hand over to uh, the the me in the interview with Paul Hopper and uh, let me know your thoughts at dave at restlessmidlifer.com and I'll catch you soon. Now then Paul it's great to have you along for the uh, the podcast been looking forward to this interview we met a few weeks ago at the Northeast Expo um, where you were um, promoting your book, which we'll get into. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and obviously what led to the book as well? Um, background, a little bit about myself. Um, I did 30 years in the fire service, retired in 2019. So, um, usual type of thing. I've done a few challenges in my time and everything. Um, I was doing Ironman races back in 2015, so it's a two-mile swim, a, a 112 mile bike ride and then obviously a marathon at the end of it so I've done a few a few of those I've done a few interesting things um, but I just happened to be training one day in the garage got, got my exercise bike 40 minutes into a session to myself I'm doing really well here and I've seen Bradley Wiggins can do 300 watts per hour like a massive amount so in my midlife crisis I thought I tell you what I'll whack it up and see how long I can handle the, the 300 watts. So I got up there for about a minute, minute and a half, and that was me absolutely exhausted. And then as uh, the watts came back down, I felt an almighty bang in the back of my head. So I thought at the time, I thought the young one had got in and happy slapped us. Mm-hmm. So when I spun around, I thought I'm going to kill him for this. And when I turned around, there's nobody there. Right. So I'm on my own in the garage with an almighty burning sensation in the back of my head. Right. So it turns out I'd actually had a brain hemorrhage. Right. So uh, the condition I had, only 15% of people want to make a full recovery. So um, I think that had a little bit of an effect on my outlook to life. So that set me looking for challenges. Right. Wow. 
Well, so you, oh, there's loads to dig into there. But I said the first bit, the midlife crisis bit. I know you said it with a smile on your face. But what, what do you mean by that? Because because obviously this is part. This is a restless midlife. And for me, this is about what is it about that phase in life where we start to think, is this it? I want more from it or whatever. You know, what 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 did you mean by that? When I was thirty, I was still playing football. Right. I was fit. I was keeping up with eighteen year olds. I was doing all the things. Right. So no problem being thirty. In the fire service, when you get to 40, you have an over 40s medical. Right. They sent for us, and I was still 39. Only a few weeks short, right. but I refused to go. Right. And they went, why wouldn't you come? I said, well, I'm not 40, so I'm not going for the medical. Right. So I waited for me three weeks, I went, and I went and had my medical. I was, But the difference for me being 30 and 40, I was no longer playing football. I wasn't doing a lot of things I was doing. Um, so a lot of... A lot of people you talk to them when they've done a sporting career, you know, and they have that lapse afterwards. So I tried weight training, I tried all sorts of different things, and then um, I got into the triathlon. So that's I started to do the triathlons in the short distances now, so we built up to the, the Ironman races. And then when I turned 50, I was as fit as I've ever been. Right. So, um, but. You don't grasp the fact that I'm 30 years older, I wasn't 18, and I've still got to, I don't know who I'm trying to prove it to, right. but I've got to prove it to, to somebody, even right. if it's just me, I can still do these things. Right. But obviously, it turns out I couldn't. <laughs> I'm laughing, but uh, thankfully, it's because you're here and we're, we're able to kind of have a chuckle about it, but it's that, it, it is, that you mentioned something there about who, who am I trying to prove it to, and I think that's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's not necessarily somebody in particular. It, it's probably yourself as, as much as anything, isn't it? That you're trying to sort of say, I've still got it, or I'm still worthy, or something like that. You know, that these drives that we have. Well, it um, obviously, as, as we'll go on to, I, I met somebody after the row in Antigua, um, and she questioned the why right. we did things. And then I told her what I thought was the why, and she went, no, that's a reason. Oh, right, okay. So um, she made me delve quite deeply into right. um, a lot of things. Right. Um, and it's amazing what comes to mind. Because right. I'm one of three, so I'm the middle of three sons. Um, and I can remember my younger brother and my oldest brother having a conversation over who was the most intelligent. And I didn't get a, a mention. They, the two of them automatically had cut us out. So there's things, little triggers, and if you look back, you'll find them. Mm. And it was just like, hold on a minute, they, they might be more intelligent than me, might be richer than I am, but I can do these amazing challenges. Right, yeah. Yeah, so there's some, uh, yeah, so I like that idea of the difference between a reason and a why. A why feels deeper, it's deeper rooted. Yeah. Um, and potentially, like you say, it's affected by things and experiences in childhood and whatever. So it's such an interesting one. So I guess it's probably a good time to really talk about the what happened after, because thankfully you recovered. Um, and then what did that lead on to? Um, I had a chance meeting with the fire service. Um, we have a rescue boat on the river. And because it can go out to sea, you've got to have sea survival qualifications. So we were across at South Shields doing a course there. And of course on one side of the room, we've got all the white shirts and the gold braidings within the shipping company. And there's obviously, there was a few of us from the fire service there. And there was one man on his own. 
So at lunchtime, I said to him, don't sit on your own, come and join us. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm on a road from Newcastle to Amsterdam. And I was like, do what? Yeah, yeah, I'm on a road between Newcastle and Amsterdam. And I'm like, well, there's a ferry <laughs> with a bar and a bed and a breakfast and it's about 49 pounds each way. So why on earth would you? And he goes, ocean rowing's a massive sport. And I'm thinking, well, I've never heard of ocean rowing. So I Googled it and there is these races all over the world. You can do different events here, there and everywhere. So I did what any normal middle-aged man would do. I Googled the world's toughest rowing oh, yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was a two and a half minute promotional video came up and I just watched this video and I just thought, I'm going to do that. Right. There was two stats in it at the time and it just blew my mind. There was more people been in space and climbed Everest than they had rode across the Atlantic. Wow, right. So you just think to yourself, mm, space, no, that's not happening. Climbing Everest didn't really appeal to us, but this just lit something up in us. And I just thought, I'm going to do that. Wow. So, so just to put any context, did you have any sort of, any water background experience, like interest, you know, swimming, swimming. Well, you did, I suppose, the triathlons. Yeah, I'd done a bit of swimming, yeah. Well. And then obviously yeah. we'd had the rescue boat. Yeah. Right? I'd never rowed a boat until I bought the boat that I rowed across <laughs> the Atlantic. Right. Bloody hell. It's funny, isn't it, when you, you pick the toughest one. And, you know, out of curiosity, I, I'd certainly do that. But then to actually think, I'm going to do it. Wow. Well, it was, it was just those two stats. You yeah. Know, more people in space, more people. Yeah. Everest, and you just think, just gonna and up to this moment in time there's only two thousand people on the planet who can say they've rode across the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. So it, it is a, a small group. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. So just to put it in a timeline, what year or what obviously you did the role, what year was it that you decided and, and how long uh, it well it was two thousand and fifteen when I had the brain hemorrhage. Um it would have been late to that year um when I saw the, the video and decided I was gonna give it a go. We were due to go 2017, but we didn't get the money in place for that. Um, 2018, my um, knee dropped a bit, so I had to have a full knee replacement, so that canceled that one. So that puts on to the 2019, and that's right. when we, uh, myself and a chap called Phil Pugh, right. took off. So it was a two-man? Yeah, well, initially it was gonna be four firefighters. Right. So I had a team, had the chance of buying a boat, uh, and slowly, team member by team member, we dropped out, and then it was just right. me on my own. Um, and that's when the wife said, no, not on your own, that's ridiculous. So um, a friend of mine said, I know a perfect person that's as daft as you are. <laughs> so um, she texted him, I says, um, my friend's as daft as you, do you want to row the Atlantic with him? to come back yes wow. so the two of us met had a cup of tea had a chat spoke about where the project had got to and how much further we'd got to go and then um, I'd never met Phil obviously before in my life and then 18 months later there we were crossing the Atlantic together wow so there's a there's loads there firstly the recovery after the um the brain hemorrhage because it sounds like you know 2015 and then the end of the year you decide it now what was the recovery like? What did you need? Uh, you know, how did it affect you after that, personally? Um, it, it, I was very fortunate. I got over it very quickly. 
took us eight, about eight weeks. Right. Wow. Um, I've learned a lot since. Um, I went I, I went back to work, but I went back far too soon to be one hundred percent honest. But um, I didn't like being on the sick, and I was driving around, and it turns out I should have been driving because it's on one of the lists. And right. So unfortunately, nothing occurred in that period of time. But um, after the event happened, I, I couldn't stay away for more than about ninety minutes in the session. Right. Um, people would come see you, they'd be talking to you, and then obviously I'd be looking at them, they'd look at me, and I'd be going, was I talking then? Mm. And they went, yeah, you, you were, and I'm like, well, I no idea. Right. So, and then just as I, as I got better, I mean, even being in the car when the wife was driving, which is bad enough, um, you could say, my brain didn't process the information, you know, when she was like pulling out, and right. I, I was just a few steps behind, and right. it took me a while to get, Fully back up to speed. Um, left me a little bit of tinnitus, but other than that, right. So very lucky. Oh, very, very, very lucky. <laughs> and then you obviously you look at the the race, decide you're going to do it. And so what what is involved in such a massive thing? I've done a couple of like I would say now mini challenges. Mm -hmm. Cycle lands end on a growth cycle London Barcelona a long time ago. And I know what planning went into those, but this to me sounds like just another. Wait, this is another level. Let's be right. So, um, well, obviously. Got to buy the boat. Well, you've got to buy the boat. You've got to enter the race. You've got to pay for the shipping of the boat to the start and then back, and obviously equipment and everything. So you're looking at, we did ours on a shoestring budget, right. and I'm gonna throw the number out. And this is a shoestring budget. We did it on fifty grand, <laughs> and that was a shoestring budget yeah. because our boat cost ten thousand pounds and had some of the equipment with it right so and the trailer and a pair of oars um but the next cheapest boat in the race was forty five thousand pounds right some of the boats at the top end were well over a hundred thousand so fiberglass carbon fiber ours marine plywood <laughs> right. so ours was the only wooden boat in the race and when people say oh it was a genuine oh it, it was a ton weight our boat generally was a ton weight. So when we set off, you have to have every thing you're gonna need for, they have to have enough kit for 90 days. Right, all right, okay. So there's so all of the, the financial and the logistical planning and all that. So mm. is there, are there some sort of rules in terms of how you cross, you know, or whether, what assistance you get, that kind of thing, how does it work? Uh, there's no outside assistance. Right. So you have to have everything with you. Right. So. Prior to the race, when you get to the, the start at the Gamera, um, the boat doesn't go straight in the water, it goes into a boat park. So every piece of equipment's got to be laid out and checked by the race organisers. You count every meal pack you've got, you've got to have um, 6,000 calories for 90 days. So they make sure you've got all these things in place. Uh, and then when you get to the end, when you're finished, they count everything. And if you've lost more than 5% of your things, then you're disqualified. Right, but obviously um, clean oceans, so nothing goes over the side, other than the obvious. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, but do, what 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 happens if you have an incident? You know, some like over, well, I guess overturns probably the worst thing. But you know, where you lose stuff off the board, or is that uh, okay? Or? Everything's um, even the oars. You drill, tie a line to it, right. and clip it onto the boat. Right. So if the boat flips over then 
that's it. Everything stays with the boat. Right. Okay. So All right. you don't lose anything. Right. So, so you. So the the style of the boat, the two ends are airtight, so the cabin's got to be closed, um, and if it rolls over, then it will self-propagate. Right. Okay. So a bit like the old lifeboat type thing. Yeah. Okay. So we had a 160 litres of water in uh, as ballast in the middle of the boat. So, um, like I say, it helps it self-propagate. Right, uh, so you've got to take your food, so is that 6,000 calories each? or six Yeah, 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 I mean, obviously I was rowing 15 hours a day, so. Yeah. So how did that work then, between the two of you, did, I, I presume shifts? Well, um, it works as, um, most teams do two on, two off, uh, but within the early stages of the, the race, we had mechanical breakdowns, we had um, equipment failures, basically, because obviously, we were on a shoestring budget and some of the stuff <laughs> I bought was it was cheap for a reason uh, so in the first few days yeah um, seasickness dehydration um, equipment failure um, Phil was uh, struggling he needed like more sleep so we broke the day up into a different pattern so from midnight till five in the morning I would row and Phil would sleep and then um, five I'd go to bed Phil would row till eight o'clock and obviously um with a breakfast and then we'd split the day right um and then obviously like i say work to a cycle and then with a breakfast main meal in the evening and then obviously bits and bobs through the day but yeah interesting yeah so when i mean there's a lot of questions that I'm, I'm fascinated with so i guess let's go in order of it what training did you do or have to do what was what was that the entail to get to the even a level to even do that um it's funny uh, we did uh, you have to do 120 hours um training where you do qualification rows so right. you've got to provide um information to the race organizers um, organization called atlantic campaigns uh, they run the event and then obviously you've got to do a 24 hour row you've got to do a 48 hour row you've got to prove that you can follow a plotted course and all these type of things. Um, and then obviously we, we spent many an hour uh, rowing up and down the time, time on the North Sea, um, and then lots of time in the gym and uh, a, lot, a lot of time on uh, a Concept2 rowing machine. Yeah. So yeah, we, we were good at that type of thing, but obviously um, I knew I was gonna lose weight, so I had bulked up prior to going. Right. So I uh, lost three and a half stone during the row. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was just constant activity and burning it away. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, yeah, I mean, people say, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. On a, on a row machine, you do about 30 strokes per minute. But on an ocean row, I mean, one oars up, one oars in. There's no technique to it. You just stick the oars in and give them a bit of a pull. And um, we, I think we were doing about 14 strokes a minute, so it's mm. just steady away. Yeah. But obviously the only thing is it, it's constant. So you've just got to have that mental capacity to get up and do it again mm. and again and again. So how did it, you, you said seasick there. How did you fuck, sort of, did you just get used to it after a while or what? what, what? Um, I used the, the dots um, and Phil had used tablets. And um, obviously I was actually physically sick few times early on in the few days and I found it easier to cope with it but Phil was never ill but because of the, the pills and that but it, it was 
completely wrecked with it. Right. So um, three to four days, you start to feel something like. Right. Um, but the the race started, and they described the conditions as fast and furious. So what they hadn't described was um, thirty foot waves and and forty mile an hour winds. So it was uh, baptism of fire for the first night we're on the boat. How, so how do you eat? Because to me, I'm even just trying to picture that. How do you roll in that? How do you stay on track? You know, how do you? Well, um, you've got something called an auto helm, so the electronics um, steer steer the boat. And right. all, all you've got to do is a simple thing of rowing. Yeah. But obviously, that particular night, it was very difficult just to sit in the, in the seat without being thrown about all over the place. So the conditions over the first few days um, helped get us away from the island. Right. Are you tied into the boat yourself? So that yeah, there's so um, two safety lines running down the, the deck, and then obviously you've got like a mountaineering harness, right. and then that's clipped through right. to the um, to the safety line. So obviously, because of the, the the waves and the current and the wind, if I'd have gone up, if one of either one of us go over, the, the other one can't get the boat round to get them. It'd be too difficult to turn the boat around and right. get them. So if you go over the side, then that's that's it. So you <laughs> get you get something called a personal locator beacon, uh, which is about the size of a cigarette packet, and we had like little bum bags, and we had one of those on us. Yeah. So if you went in the water, then it would send a signal, and yeah. hopefully somebody comes to you. Yeah. In the early days, I mean, which is great because you're near everybody, but um, the day the winning team finished, we still had fifteen hundred miles to go. Wow, <laughs> right. So, so in terms of you, you'd have had all kinds of weather then, I guess. If you had some, yeah, you had some uh, really rough. What, what was it like then? To, so, the rough weather, you just um, sometimes the conditions against you, you're actually blowing your back. So, you've got something called a sea anchor, which is like a flipping huge parachute, you put that into the water, and then that holds you. I mean, the, the worst we had one night, we went back about eight miles, which was heartbreaking but um, obviously when you're on this thing um, the boat's on about a 70 meter line so you're supposed to be like two and a half waves lengths away from you and the boat just starts and it's like being in a flipping tumble dryer right. so and then it turns out it's quite difficult to have a wee if you are constantly moving <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to explore that but I don't think so, I mean, what what one of the reasons, obviously, was the story, but you've also got a book, so I don't want to necessarily dive too much into the deal because it's the adventure to read about as well. But how much, when you say the training, out of how, was it seven days a week? Was it five days a week? What was it? And how many hours a day were you spending on all this? Um, I'm really interested in that side of it, you know, to actually get to that point. Um, I, was, I would say... Um, trained every day at least an hour a day right. um, so he did something every day um, we um, quite fortunately Chatfort uh, Martin Whitaker has got a place across the water one take fitness and he, he was fantastic with us so right. we had two or three sessions a week with him and obviously he had us flipping tyres right. and I, I could never quite work out why that was a, a good idea for flipping tyres so, tyres on the Atlantic yeah, <laughs> But it's it's a full compound movement, yeah, isn't yeah. it? So you're using everything. Right. 
So if we weren't flipping it, you were sitting in it and pulling the sled, you, you know, you were doing all, all these type of things. Right. So just building up your- Conditioning and yeah. strength and them, yeah. Brilliant. So um, I had the, like I say, I had the physical strength and it's not as arduous as you think. It's just like zone two at the most. Because if you get out, you're asking about the weather. If you've got some wind and seas, it helps the boat go forward. Yeah. Okay. So the day it was pan flat and there wasn't a ripple, there wasn't a breath of air, it was the day we did as least amount. Right. And in 24 hours, we did um, about 23 miles. And I absolutely flogged myself that day to get those miles. Mm. But the thing is, the next day, I could hardly row, I was exhausted. Right. Yeah. So. That, that was a learning curve yeah, for me. Yeah. So you've got to take what's coming your way and not try and. I mean, Phil um, Hill says to us, he goes, We didn't cross the Atlantic. He goes, The Atlantic allowed us to cross. Right. So we didn't beat it. It yeah. just allowed us uh, to take our, our journey across because if the conditions had been against us, there was nothing we were, hmm. could have done to, to beat the ocean. So in terms of success rate, for people attempting it, what, what is it generally for that? Um, it's got better and better. Um, in the early days, it was around about a 50% chance. Right. But in the early days, th th these were proper adventures. Right. So you sign up for the race, and I think it was called the Woodbills back in the day when it first started. When you signed up for the race, they sent you a boat as a flat pack. <laughs> so the boat came as a flat pack you then got in the garage and built the boat in the garage and then obviously took it across there and rode your own boat across right. so obviously in the early days it was um, less successful shall we say <laughs> uh, but we were very fortunate because our boat uh, dream it do it dd as, as we call her um we were the fourth crossing so she'd been across four times right. oh, so um, it was almost as though it just let the boat do it. She knows she, what she's she knew what she was doing. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the chap that built it took it across in two thousand and nine. There was a, a couple took it across in two thousand and eleven, and then two lads from Warwickshire called themselves Coventry Five O. Uh, they took it across in two thousand and fifteen. So, and then obviously we were the the fourth and final because uh, Atlantic campaigns they've uh, no longer have wooden boats in the race. Right. So, um, but the boat's going on to do a, a round Britain event. Yeah. So, although my rowing career is um, put to bed, the boat's still out there doing things. Bless it. Class. That's brilliant, isn't it? So, um, I did mention the book. Do you want to give a shout out to the title of the book and a little bit about that? And then I want to dive into sort of the mindset stuff that just, you know, that, that side of things. So, do you want to right. tell a little bit about that? Uh, the book's called uh, Flares Up, a story bigger than the Atlantic, uh, written by a lady called Neve McAnally. Um, when we arrived in Antigua, um, her and her husband, they were sailing around the Caribbean on, they call it, they call it a sailboat, but it's a flipping yacht. Right. So they've got this lovely yacht, but she's come out, uh, her and her husband on a little dinghy. She's a photographer, writer, uh, and she's captured the moment. Um, the reason they call the book Flares Up is, um, when you arrive in Antigua, the race organizers get you to stand there, either both arms out, Flare in each hand, and then obviously it's not distress. It's that's your moment to glory. Right. So um, it was best part four years in the making. 
70 days at sea and then needed to capture this photo of that moment of euphoria when we crossed the line. Um, so as we were being interviewed, you get for your first meal, she's taking loads of photographs. And when we're sitting there just enjoying food and a cold drink, which was uh, amazing, um, she showed us the pictures on the, the camera and she went, well, what are you doing tomorrow night? So we had no family there, so nothing. She would see the boat there, invited us on for a meal. So the next evening we had a meal with her. Um, she got talked to us, asked us why we'd done it and reasons why, right. the usual thing. She was picking away at it and she, she was, uh, obviously my backstory with me, um, brain hemorrhage and Phil's uh, son was born premature, he's quadriplegic. So Phil's always done challenges. So his son Tom can experience the challenge do what he does so yeah. um, she just found the whole thing such a, an emotional and interesting story she went well have you ever thought about a book and of course we, we haven't and then what's interesting about two middle-aged men sitting on a flipping boat in the middle of the Atlantic so um, she goes oh, I'll write it and she she has and then obviously um, it's out there so yeah so that's how the book came about brilliant and just I mean for a shout out, is it, can you get it through? Oh, it's on Amazon. On Amazon yeah. On that yeah, you get it from all good bookstores and it's Shout available out. on Amazon. And if you can't be bothered to read it, you can get it as an audio book. Oh, class. Oh, so that's how lazy we've now become. <laughs> we can't even fetch his own takeaways. We have to then deliver it. And now we can't even read his own books. I know. I know. There's something about an audio book. There's <laughs> <laughs> something about getting your takeaways. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, well, we'll put that links in the show notes as well because I think. I mean, I, haven't wanted, I want to go into the story, but I also don't want to if people want to read it, because I think, well, I guess for me then, I will ask one question is, well, two questions. What was a highlight on the journey? And did you have a long, dark, night of the soul type experience on the journey as well? So I guess the positive and the negative in it. Uh, right, it was, yeah. We should have gone the year before, we should have gone in 2018. Uh, we did all his courses um, down in Exeter and I met um, a team from Norway doing it in uh, Lars. He was uh, military, um, made quite a connection, lovely chap. So obviously he was disappointed that we hadn't gone the year 2018 because he did it as a pair. Well, in the year we were doing it in um, 19, signed up and come back to it again as a four. So I met him at the start and he went, Paul, he goes, are you ready for the amount of thinking you will do? And anybody that's met us knows that thinking is not one of my things. I'm not the most intelligent thinking. No, don't do that. Carry on. But when you've got hour after hour, mm. then um, your mind almost like you, you relive your, your life. And I can tell you now, you don't start with the good bits. So, right. so you tend to look back at your mistakes and the people you've done uh, wrong and the different mistakes you've made and you tend to focus on them in the early days and that uh, before you start to get into some of the things that you're more proud of, shall we say. Uh, but you're asking about highlights. Well, I, I've seen whales, but never in the wild. Right. So I, I, I wanted to see whales is the, I mean, and the wildlife and all that type of thing. So it was day 53, middle of the afternoon. I'm just uh, rowing, mine's millions of miles away. Phil was doing a bit of social media on the sat phone and everything. 
and it all of a sudden covered in water. The whale had just come up the side of the boat, cleared its blowhole and flipped and wet me through. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill, Bill, there's a whale, there's a whale. Uh, and it was no more than 15 feet away from the boat. And it just came up, looked, and we're looking at it, and it's looking at us. And it was just like, this is it. Well, what are you two idiots doing? <laughs> and yeah. it was just there uh, for a few seconds, and then it just arched its back and then just slipped into the water silently and it was gone. Mm. So they were the, the type of things that I was um, looking forward to and it didn't disappoint. It was mm. an, an amazing moment. Like I say, we saw dolphins, um, flying uh, flying fish. There's one for you. I, I, you know when people say flying fish, mm. I thought they, they hopped in and out of the water a couple of feet away. Mm. But um, we were rowing. Um, pitch black middle of the night just rowing minding my own business got the music on all of a sudden bang straight in the side of the face and then you can hear <laughs> it spins going flying fish had hit us so they come up in shoals there's 30s 40s of them and it will come out of the water they'll be two three meters in there and they'll go for 40 50 meters and back in Wow, right. So an amazing sight wow. so yeah some really um fantastic uh things with nature and then <laughs> the frightening moment we nearly got run over by a tanker right so <laughs> middle of the atlantic you know what i mean miles and miles of ocean and, uh, and of course um we we're rowing and feels like yeah let's get back i can see a boat uh, no can you now so i came out of the cabin and it wasn't a flip what i thought was like a little sailboat you could see this tanker um and obviously it was off in the distance, be four or five miles away. But what you're supposed to do is you pick a point on the boat, line it up with a vessel, and give it a few minutes, and then it should move off that point, which means it's going to miss you. Well, this thing just stopped on the flipping line, and it just kept coming and coming. And I was on the radio trying to call it up, nothing. Um, and like I say, we were just... Um, Batting everything down, we're going to get run over. It's going to be, oh, God. Yeah, the boat would be like a box of swan vesters and all that type of thing. <laughs> uh, and then the boat got within, it, it sounds a long way, but I tell you, when you're on a small rowing boat and this thing's coming, it got to about a thousand meters away and it just started to turn and it came level. And uh, like I say, the, the radio just sprung into life when it's safe, we can see you. Right. And, <laughs> But yeah, great. Thanks for that, mate. Yeah, they might have been. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, that gives us a, a real. Bloody hell, yeah. It's unbelievable, you know what I mean? Huge yeah. ocean. I know. So. <laughs> Get out of the way, I'm using it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just cool. bizarre. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only imagine and guess what an adventure would have been and all the ups and downs, you know, the, the highs and the lows. So, you know, the, the book itself is definitely worth a read. You, you mentioned, I, I suppose the other side for this, and this is what this is what, one of the reasons for the rest of my life is because I'm a I'm a, probably moving towards the other side of midlife now, but it's very much about, is this it? You know, that moment where you kind of go, is this my life? You know, it's more years potentially behind us and in front and you kind of start to rethink your life a little bit or something happens that makes you rethink and want to challenge that, you know, in life. Right. So how, go on. I, I totally get what you're saying and um, I have done a bit of reading into it. People like myself, 
you know, if you're a professional f footballer, professional athlete, you're Olympian, mm. you're born with a drive. Mm. You're just born with it, and that drive takes you through to being at the level you're at. Uh, and then there's people like myself where you can trace it to an event, some eureka moment. Yeah. So obviously, like I say, I'd never been as fit, and then I think myself, you know, five years' time, I'm retire, you know, when our young and leaves home, and we might have to buy a nice holiday home, and we're going to do all these things. So you're planning the next 20 years, mm. but it turns out you might not have the next 20 years. So it was that experience that made me do yeah. what, what, I, what I went on to do. Yeah. So um, it's, and there's other people like myself mm -hmm. have an event or something happens, medical, emotional, whatever it is, changes circumstances, and it just drives them on to do something. Um, but that was me as an individual. Um, Did you said drives on? So you describe it's it's that you know it's a change and it's a drive. It's something that. So, so something changes in you that powerfully is that is that what you yeah that's exactly it because um when i got back from the row um obviously to get out to antigua it would have been very expensive and i didn't know when i was going to land so the wife couldn't book the time yeah. off so we were tired she wasn't going to come so what would happen is i would finish get the the event over come home and then we'd go away and have yeah. a second honeymoon type thing mm -hmm. So that's what we planned, and then obviously that's almost what happened. Um, so we went away on holiday um, with the VIP lounge, we did all the nice things, best room, and then that night when we sat down for his evening meal, she said to us, I'll let you know at the end of this week if we're still going to be married or not. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I hadn't seen that coming. Right. So she said to me, she was. For the last four years, it's like you've been having an affair with the boat. Right. So she goes, I haven't been anywhere in your thoughts. With a, she'd gone on holiday with her friends and took the boy. And obviously, I just concentrate on everything on the boat. And I've just got tunnel vision. She said to me, she goes, I could have drilled holes in the bottom of it. Because yeah. I absolutely hated it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, that, I didn't realise myself how bad I'd become. Right. Then, obsessive really yeah. all consuming by itself and, and yeah from that. yeah so obviously I, I needed to we didn't get major sponsorship mm. so there was lots of boats there banks all sorts of things our biggest sponsor was 500 quid right so what we did we came up with the idea you sign the boat cost you three quid and then that way you cross the Atlantic without rowing a stroke so we had the boat on Northumberland Street, we had it outside the gate, we took it to all the shopping centres and everything, so we spent hour after hour, and the boat ended up with over 3,000 signatures on it. So the boat paid for itself by people just signing it. Yeah. Fantastic. So, but, but I get what you're saying, so it's become this all-consuming thing, and it's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it, even the creative ideas for raising yeah. money. That, that is, that, that's amazing. But it's it's it sounds like it's obviously that core consumer. There's trade offs in everything in life, isn't there? And obviously you hadn't realised, but there's potentially the the, the question yeah. of your marriage because of it. Well, um, 
the book touches on exactly right. that. So have I achieved something amazing? Well, yeah, most people would say it's an amazing feat that I've achieved. So you can't deny that, but everything comes at a cost. So it, it nearly cost Phil and I both marriages. Right. So that's how far it driven the, the two of us. And thankfully, both. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, okay, still together. Still yeah. together, so we're back on track, so yeah. everything is uh, good. But yeah, very, very close to. So, on that note, because it, that is such a huge achievement, a talk and show for so long, what are your reflections back on that? Because you mentioned obviously it's an amazing or can be seen as an amazing. How do you feel about it and what, what's your kind of feeling now for life ahead? Um, it's just obviously I, I value every minute like I say um, I, I get talking to people and people say oh you've done this amazing thing I could never do it you know what a, you know what a great person you are but I think what I've realized is my challenge was to row the Atlantic your challenge if you're suffering from mental health might just be getting out of bed you know everybody's got a slightly different challenge and it doesn't mean because I've achieved a 70 day challenge that I'm better than anybody else. What it means is I had enough drive to focus to do that. Um, and it's made me realize that everybody's got their own challenge mm. and it's how you deal with that. Um, and I just, if I, if I can help somebody, I will. Mm. Whereas before I might've been a bit too busy, you know, cause I've got my own stuff to do. Yeah. Well, I've done my thing. Right. So I'm content in what I've achieved. Would I do it again? In a heartbeat. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, would I like to row the Pacific? Yes, I would. Do I want to stay married to the wife? Yes, I do. So obviously, right. I'm yeah. not rowing the Pacific, am I? But yeah, so it's, it's just um, everybody's different and um, like say when you get chat to people, oh, I couldn't do what you do, and I just think, well, that was my thing. But um, people who spoke to us went, oh, I read your book, and I just felt so inspired. And me and the wife's going to do the Yorkshire Three Peaks, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And it's lovely to think that somebody's read the story and engaged with it, and it's got them to do yeah. something. Yeah. Like I say, I mean, you cycle the, the length and breadth of the country, it's not easy. Mm. Like I say, the saddle sore, dark days, yeah. there's yeah. times when you're trying to get up them climbs, you'd be thinking, what on earth am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas myself, I had no choice. Mm. So once you've started, so, I mean, we did have, there was a particular night where the boat was damaged, uh, we'd lost one of the batteries, which meant we could either have water or electronic navigation so um phil said right because phil's more of a thinker than me phil right. processes information and i, I react on emotion mm. so phil had processed and thought right hold on we're, we're quite close to the shore uh, we've not got out to the, the real ocean and we've got all these problems would it be better just to call it quits on this and come back next year and go again so Phil asked me the question, right, what do you think? I, I didn't, didn't think. Knee-jerk reaction, bang. Emotions, charged, decision, 
headlong. So I said to him, look Phil, this boat's going to Antigua. So you've got two choices, you can either come with us or you can get off. And he goes, ah, just asking, is that what you're telling us? And I went, that's what I'm telling you. He goes, can you get this boat from here to there? And I said, I promise you, yes. And we did. Mm. But reflecting back, the knee-jerk emotional reaction isn't always mm. the best. And I think I learned a little bit more to be more thoughtful about what I choose and mm. things of that nature. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, the usual. I would, you know, when people say, would you, you cut your nose off spite your face? I, I gladly would, yes. Yeah. Um, but it was a, a learning that it's not always the best way. It's interesting, isn't it? Because often, I often talk about strengths can become weaknesses if they're overdone. But part of life is learning that, because I'm a pig-headed bugger. But that can also be called determination. You know? yeah. But at times it's definitely pig-headedness. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so uh, I sat in an interview um, and they said to us, what, what's one of your strengths, Paul? What's one of your biggest strengths? Uh, and I went, uh, focus, we drive. Mm. I'm very driven. And that's one of my strongest points. And he goes, what about weakness? Can you identify weakness? I went, yes. I'm very driven. I'm very focused. <laughs> so... Yeah. It can be exactly yeah. that, as yeah. you're saying. It's yeah. it's a great thing, but obviously I became that tunneled vision on this yeah. that everything else was oblivious. Yeah. Yeah. So although it was a great focus and I did a great thing there, it, it comes at a cost yeah. because yeah. I didn't take in the things that were peripheral. Yeah, and and there's a part of it. It's you, isn't it? But you do learn. We do learn, and and I think one of the beauties of that this so-called midlife is that you get to look at yourself with a different set of eyes. And sort of perhaps not the young eyes that, that are critical of yourself or you know whatever you kind of mm. get looking you can see the good and the not so good you're not mm. it's not binary it's not one or the other so I think that's a, it's amazing and and I, I love I love the I love the the challenge so so obviously you're not going to do the Pacific no are you still driven to do something or is it are you kind of think that I'm, I'm fine I've had that I'm going to focus on um, family for example. It's one of those things that I've had a few injuries, so um, I'm starting to get limiters. Right. So um, my shoulder's now an issue, so um, there's talk of a new shoulder. Um, but obviously uh, that's not really an option for me because that would be too limiting. Right. So um, the knee joint, had that done and I can still cycle, I can row the Atlantic, you can still do things with it. But it turns out if you get a new shoulder, it's just you know, stop you being in pain so you can put the flipping shopping away, right. you know, not so you can bench press 120k and all that type of thing. So, um, at this moment in time, if I was 100% honest, I'm just in a bit of a mm. um, processing information and thinking, yeah, what's next? Mm. So, happens to us all, you know, I, I haven't got all the answers, you know, no. because I, I, you know, I put myself into a tiny group of people, I, I still have um, highs and lows and if I was 100% honest the fact that I've had that ultimate high sometimes comes with you know so I, I retired from the fire service and my wife was always worried you know after 30 years in the fire service you're going to miss the job what's it going to be mm. well of course I had the road to focus on and we have had the road and obviously we came back to Covid um, we were stuck in Tenerife for an extra four days because right. it was a it was the day that the 
planes came back. Yeah. We were sat in the airport waiting for the plane right. to come and they actually went back. So uh, the iron here is the hotel they put us in, in Tenerife. Um, I could see across the Gamera. I could see where the racing started. <laughs> so it was almost like doing a, a full circle and some type of closure. Um, but yeah, we've, we've all battled through COVID and then um, I'm just now at a stage where, yeah, what's next? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Um, obviously, um, like I say, do I go out to talking things, you know, giving talks and presentations, promoting the book? Um, well, obviously, if Neve wins an award over the next couple of days for it and it gets turned into a screenplay, then the big question will be who's going to play me in the film? Yeah, well, <laughs> go on, who would you like it to be? Go to ask the question, who would you like it to be? <laughs> Uh, well, I would have said Russell Crowe, but I think he's put a few pounds on recently. So I just don't. He does that for the acting, though, doesn't he? So yeah. Oh, yeah. So, lose it, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you need to uh, lose soon off stone when he was doing that filming. Yeah. So yeah, whatever. Uh, class. Yeah, it's great. I, I guess on that note, um, like as as a the next cop, one of the things. I mean, I didn't retire. I left because I had the business and whatever. And one of the things I kind of look back on is, did I miss it or what do I miss? And I think one of the things that i found is not being up, not totally obsessed with a goal, but having goals, having milestones, having things to work towards, both business and life and fitness. Um, I think that that is an important part of being human, just having something to work for. So it was obviously massively a massive goal in that sense, mm. but having other things to work towards can be really useful, can't it? For... Well, it can, and like I say, it's just, um, it depends where you are in life, doesn't it? So, oh, of course. Yeah. Does, yeah. So, and I think sometimes, Obviously, I know I was coming to talk to you today, uh, and I have thought about this, and I think myself, people set fitness and weight loss mm. and set things as goals mm. that don't inspire them. Mm. So you're never going to achieve fitness and weight loss unless it's something you want to do. Mm. So, oh, you know, I've got to lose weight because I'm going on my holiday. You know, I don't, I've got to lose weight because I don't get my shirt anymore. You've got to lose weight because you want you to do it. Mm. And I want to do this. And sometimes what we don't do is, I don't know if this is a men and a woman thing because the wife always says, you always go to the gym and do your training. I said, well, that's what you need to do. You, you've got to prioritize this. Mm. So if I don't do something, it'll be the washing and the ironing. Mm. Whereas she'll do the washing and the ironing and then try and go to the gym. Mm. But once these things have taken longer, the gym's the first thing off the table. So she misses out on that. Mm, mm. So, but the gym doesn't inspire her. She's got the dog. She walks for hours with yeah, the dog. Yeah. So that's what works for her. Mm. So it's finding whatever's going to work for you as an individual. Yeah. Um, is it Dale, Dave Brailsford, the cyclist coach? From the yeah, I'm team? not sure the name, but yeah. Yeah. T, uh, team UK. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a, there was a, a little thing that he said is, it's very difficult to improve one thing by 100%. But it's very easy to improve a hundred things by one percent. Yeah, yeah. So little changes in life make all the difference. Oh, it's very much the sprout sweater approach. That's talking my language. My because yeah. mine is kind of that you you talk about it, that's not a reason, that's not a why, that's a reason. I think this is the this is the big thing is what is that deeper the deeper root motivation, the deeper why. So yes, if you want to lose weight, you want to get fit, but why? Why does it matter? So for me, at 45, I'm a little baby, rosy. And realizing I'm going to be 66 when she's 21 kind of made me think, well, if I'm there, 
kind of made me wake up to think I want to be fitter at 66 than I was at 45. You know, so that's a deep why, but I still have to turn it into a short-term yeah. goal, tangible thing, right. like you say, the small incremental changes. And I think that's something really powerful and important to, to probably finish on, really, is that idea that you can have these short-term goals, but it's got to be hooked into something deeper, something bigger. And for you, it was that ch- massive change in life. Mm. But something bigger that drives you, that drives you and gets you up on the morning. It's fine. It, it, that's that's the trick, and it's yeah. finding because um, obviously when they were going back to me, wise, she pushed and pushed and pushed, and I said to her, I said, I can even remember one of my teachers saying to us, Hopkins, you will never achieve anything. You're yeah. a waste of space, and it wasn't a, something I'd ever thought of for years. Mm. But when she pushed and pushed, and obviously I, I told her about the brothers thing, and she went, "There's more than that." There's more, and she kept pushing and pushing. And I can, I can remember the, t- the teacher's name. I can remember the sound of his voice. I know which class I was sat in. I know the day that he told me I would never achieve anything. Mm. And when I arrived in Antigua, I wish he'd have been there. Mm. And yeah, I have achieved something. But the thing is, this is another thing I say to a lot of people: you haven't got to row the Atlantic to achieve things. Mm. Like say you're challenge might be your mental health so it might be i got out of bed i got washed mm. i got dressed mm. you know i actually put clothes on to go to the supermarket instead of going in with flipping pajamas but hey i mean that's a different generation mm. but it's these little things and it's identifying them and the thing is what i've learned is sometimes you need to be kind to yourself mm. Massively so, so, yeah. yeah so you you know Again, this is supposed to be like a woman thing. You know, a woman will go, oh, you know, I've got a flat horse, I've got this, that, and the other. But men will go, oh, shoulders are good, good shoulders. You know, oh, thighs are good. But obviously, we don't notice the fact we've got a huge kite, you know. But we look at the good things. So um, that's a physical thing. But we still need to look at what's happening in life. Mm. Is this it? So most people go on to raise a family. And my dad was a simple man. Um, and he didn't have a bucket list of ridiculous challenges to do. He wanted to own his own house and see his kids go up and do well. And that's what he did. Um, and then obviously, like I say, when he passed blessing, he ticked off his, it wasn't a great bucket list, but it was his. Yeah. yeah. So he'd achieved everything that he wanted with limited ability, but hard work. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes how you look at it, get a bit of perspective on yourself, um, don't be too hard on yourself, and your glass is always half full. Yeah. yeah, that's a brilliant way to close it off, because I think it says it all, really. For me, that captures the sprouts, but the way the incremental change, the why, and also the kindness to yourself, because ultimately you've got to ask yourself, why do you drive yourself in, in some of these ways? Um, and it has got to be for you. So, brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing the, an amazing story, an amazing achievement. And um, I hope you know. I hope that I'm sure the listeners will take loads away from that. Um, and we will add um, connect contact and details about the book in the show notes for for uh, listeners and viewers. So please do get the book and, and let us know any questions or anything. Give us some feedback at Dave at WrestlingSmithLife.com. Uh, you'll find Paul's uh, contact details in the show notes as well if you want to get in touch with him as well. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your time. It's been really good. It's been a privilege to Pleasure. talk to you about it. Thank you very much. Good luck with it. Good luck with whatever the next thing is. All right, cheers. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget, you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.